This is the 318 Podcast, Episode 4. If you have a voice, speak up for the voiceless. If you live to serve others, serve with the cheerfulness that shines through the storm. If you have the gift of building up, begin to build his kingdom on earth. If you have the gift of tearing down, bring the enemy down one brick at a time. If you have the gift of leadership, lead his people back to him. If you have the gift of guidance, show the world his way. If you have more love to give, then find the unloved and shower them. If you have the gift of tongue, then use your words to bring nations together. Speak up for the voiceless. Welcome back to the 318 Podcast, where we talk with people from around the community that are tirelessly working for the voiceless. I'm your host, Jennifer Bates. Today we have with us Mr. Tory Bates. Welcome. Well, thank you. I must say it is a pleasure to be with you in this space. (laughs) Thank you. How are you today? I'm a little tired, but I'm great. Been up since about 3.30 a.m. this morning, and uh, but I'm doing good. I mean, it's I've actually been looking forward to the day to be able to share space with you in this way. All right. Well, I feel honored. Thank you for yes, joining ma'am. us. Um, first off, before we get started, tell us a little bit about a little bit about yourself. Who is Mr. Tory Bates? Well, my name is Tory. I am um, from Jackson, Mississippi, but I was raised about 30 minutes north of Atlanta called Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, I am a son um, of George and Pauline Estelle, and I am the husband of one wife. Um, I have eight children, and uh, I love all things sports. I love to write. Um, I would say that I'm both a creative and a visionary. So um, let me ask you this. We always start with one just kind of random question um, in order to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, right? And I know I've asked you to put your phone on Do Not Disturb, but if you pull up your phone right now and go to text messages, tell me the first emoji that pops up for you. If you were to send an emoji to anybody. Because that will be your most used emoji. Uh, The crying, laughing. The crying, laughing. So why do you think that is? Why is that one the one you use the most? Well, probably um, because I have a couple text threads uh, with some friends I've known since uh, uh, graduate school. And uh, the conversation is just always hilarious (laughs) between that and then the family text messages from games to... (laughs) You know, everything in between. Okay. Uh, yeah, so maybe because I'm always laughing at something. Okay. Okay, well, I must admit the my most used emoji is also the crying, laughing emoji. Okay. Um, and mine, basically for the same reason, um, but mine is more for the children that send me TikToks um, randomly throughout the day. Um, so I... I don't have TikTok on my phone, so it always comes through email. I mean, not email. I'm showing my age right now. Um, it always comes through text messages, so when I reply back, it's always laughing because okay. they know my sense of humor. How, how old are you, by the way? You said age. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to get in trouble today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad at my age. I am I'm, 44 years old. I'm not old. mad at your age either. I would make out with him. You'd be the first 44-year-old I would make out with. Tori Bates. <laughs> Work with me here. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> um, 
All right. So let's get to it. So tell me, what brought you here today? What is it? Who are the voiceless in your world that you feel the need to speak up for today? I would say for me, the voiceless started with those who were homeless. Um, and that started when I was probably about 10 years old. And sitting on the rooftop, you've heard the story before, of me sitting on a rooftop downtown having lunch with my stepmother. And I saw a man digging in the McDonald's trash can and taking the half-eaten food and putting it in his backpack. And all of a sudden, um, the manager or employee came out and snatched the backpack, took all the food out, and forcefully made him leave. And so I would say mm -hmm. that uh, from then on, I've had this uh, passion for those who've been looked at like outcasts or like rebels. And mm -hmm. I would say that over time, that's grown. You know, um, I have a passion for uh, young people, young people growing up in under-resourced areas. I have a passion for uh, children growing up in Kibra that are growing up in one of the poorest slums in the world. I have a passion for communities that are downtrodden and have been um, divested in um, over time that leaves that community in this cycle of poverty and crime and just disgust, essentially. Mm -hmm. So over time, that's grown. Okay. So what does that look like today for you? Today, that looks like a community. I have a passion for communities. Uh, you know, I've had some time to be able to travel the world, um, honestly, thanks to a very understanding wife and family. <laughs> and I've noticed just these common threads around the world of poverty uh, or communities that are under-resourced have lots of things in common. And the least of those are always the ones who are hurt the most by it. And those are families. Those are the children. Mm. And typically the senior citizens in those communities are, are the forgotten ones. So when you say that the poverty around the world has a lot in common with each other, what what does that look like? What do you see um, the commonalities between poverty in the South and in the North and in a different continent? Food deserts, a lack of transportation, lots of people who are working to solve the issues but aren't working together, which is, I consider to be a poverty mindset. Mm. Um, um, and I would say forgotten children. Mm. You know, lots of children that fall through the cracks that get labeled criminals or murderers or just truant mm -hmm. children without those communities or those surrounding the communities that are on kind of the outside looking in, actually taking the time to wonder why things are the way they are. Mm. Because there's always a history in all of those communities of kind of um, before the poverty, like a BP, of <laughs> before poverty, right. and then an AP kind of after poverty struck. And typically those were uh, enriched communities uh, that were bolstering with natural resources that were just there, God-given, mm -hmm. um, beautiful landscapes, wonderful schools, nice infrastructure. You know, all those things existed and then something 
happened. And so in every community I've been in, that's been the story. All those things have been missing. And there's always a story from the natives around what it was like before that day. Okay. Okay. So with this said, um, and this is your passion, um, what does your work look like today in this area? Like, what is it that you do daily, weekly, monthly, um, yearly, annually um, along your community? Um, I say I would say to wrap it all into one because <laughs> I could, you know, point out, you know, the way we're fighting back against food disparity and sharing the love of Jesus to see Raleigh, where I currently live. Um, become a place of food abundance. I could talk about the work of collective action we're doing with other partners throughout our community and city um, to help rebuild the fabric of our schools. But I would say the work that I have a chance to lead has to do with collective action. I get a chance to bring both the resources of talent, um, treasure, and kind of our time to determine um, how we solve the issues of around education and literacy and how we solve the issues around families who find themselves homeless and how do we build back areas that are food deserts into places of food abundance. And so mm -hmm. I would say in that I get the opportunity to be almost like a um, community coach. Hmm. Okay. So as you say, community coach, um, I know a little bit of your background. Why use the term coach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that just kind of, you know, in knowing me, you know, that just kind of, that was a freestyle. It just, it became the kind of the best term to use in this moment. Um, I say co because a coach, um, it's not as much about his talents or her talents um, to go and do, whether that's to dribble a basketball and put it in a hoop or whatever you may be coaching at but more about the ability to bring a team together mm -hmm. and the coach's ability to nuance the X's and O's to fit that particular team. And so I would say community coach, because when I first started the work, it felt like it, I felt like a player. Mm -hmm. I felt like someone who was in the game, um, going from place to place, you know, multi-talented. I could, you know, pass, shoot, uh, you know, I could rebound. I play defense and that becomes tiring, right? And you realize that one is too small a number. Hmm. Uh, there's the work of community development is much too large and, and way too vast for one person to be running around on their own. Hmm. And that lesson was taught to me by my Kenyan family uh, in going to Kenya and recognizing that I had a Western mindset toward things and where I wanted to, I wanted to show up and solve. I wanted to show up and save. I wanted to be the one that was special. And now I recognize that I am special to God um, and that he considers me no longer a, a slave, but a son. And I'm learning to rest in that and not to operate like a slave, right? That needs significance by doing it all. Mm. And so now I feel like a community coach is what I am because I am gathering the right people. I am assessing talent and determining, in my my opinion, what pieces fit where in order for us to have this holistic plan of of development. Hmm. Okay. Um, so in that, as you're um, putting your team together, 
um, and assessing talent. What challenges have you faced? What have you, anything you're in the middle of or had to overcome? Well, I mean, I could talk about the the challenges of, you know, there's uh, the same thing that Jesus assessed when he looked across uh, the cities that he traveled to. And he would always say, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Mm-hmm. And so there are more people concerned with a paycheck than they are in moving out of passion or calling. And so, so I could start there, but I would say... Uh, the biggest challenge that I'm facing is learning how to lead. Mm. You know, everyone, everyone has a role Mm -hmm. and everyone has um, a passion and a talent. And I, I think I was used to leading in my own way. I am, I think a master of myself and knowing how to get the best out of me. But knowing how to actually lead people and not to be an emotional leader in the sense of where I am responding out of emotion or I'm leading just out of emotion mm-hmm. um, has been probably the greatest challenge, whether that's dealing with my board, whether that's dealing with local leaders, whether that's dealing with staff. Um, I think that the biggest challenge I have faced recently has been that. And fighting for the forgotten ones, you know, with every, in every era, there's a group that's kind of outcast that's pointed out and says they don't deserve to be loved. And, you know, most recently that's been, um, the LBGTQ community. And, you know, uh, I've found it as a part of the mission to love everyone and that everyone has a place in God's kingdom. And, Instead of fighting with folks about it and, you know, quoting scripture and (laughs) fighting over interpretation, the biggest challenge has been learning how to sit still, love those who have opposing views than I do, and not get caught up in the mucky middle, but still trying to build a bridge, you know, where everyone can rise above all of the things that would keep us separate. And so not being an emotional leader not leading with that emotion in response, but kind of leaning into every situation with a a willingness to listen. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, you know, to build a bridge. Right. So um, not to take this too personal. And if you don't want to answer, just let me know. Um, But learn as you're learning how to not necessarily be an emotional leader. um, What does that do for your psyche? Um, when it comes to the end of the day and you've tried to hold your emotions to become a better leader? Um, It means that I have to take care of myself. Um, And it means that I have to be willing to be in the same community and be vulnerable within that same community that I'm asking others to be vulnerable in. Hmm. Um, It doesn't mean that I don't display emotion. It just means that I'm not allowing that emotion to be the determining factor on what my next decision is corporately. Okay. And so I'm learning to take care of myself uh, in a number of different ways, setting healthy boundaries for conversations, um, being willing to listen, uh, kind of practicing the Kingian, Martin Luther King's way of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Dr. King used to say when you're speaking with someone, to interrupt them is violent because mm-hmm. you're not really listening 
You're only wanting to be heard. And so I've tried to implement that for myself and not just fighting to be heard, but willing to truly listen. And sometimes that means even after the fact, hmm. right? Like taking in a conversation, being willing to pray about it when my emotions are in the way of really hearing what that person said hmm. um, or what that organization said. And then um, therapy, you know, being in therapy and having a good, for me personally, a good workout regimen to have some place to kind of woosah. <laughs> and and then I wouldn't say leaving the work at work because this, this what I do isn't work for me. It's a calling. But setting boundaries to when I get home, I have some hours to where I my phones are down. I'm not opening my laptop. I'm just allowing myself to be uh, loved on and love mm. has been the greatest blessing I've had in um, learning how to deal with the emotion that comes with always being in kind of the messy middle of things. Okay. So um, I hear you setting boundaries. Um, so how does setting boundaries, um, how can you relate that back to the community in which you're trying to serve as far as, I mean, you're talking about being a leader and bringing people together, yet setting boundaries, which um, some people wouldn't put that together because a leader is always on call. Um, you can always get to your leader at any given moment in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter, um, especially when there's some big initiative, big project, big something happening. Um, so how can you relate the setting of boundaries back to it helping with the community development? Well, most communities are without boundaries, which is why crime runs rampant and other things run rampant. Um, in, in our communities is because there's a lack of boundaries. Mm. And so being willing to live within some um, sets a healthy internal compass for what it's going to take in order to lead without, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It does make sense. Um, so I guess my next question would, um, when it comes to community development, and you've mentioned a lot of different things, um, because obviously a community is not just a one path, fix that problem and boom, bam, you're done. Um, so there are many different initiatives happening, which is why you're bringing the team together, because there may be a team member who specializes or is an expert in XYZ, while the other one is an expert in ABC. Um, so what is it? for the community development that's most pressing on you right now? You said you mentioned that you're in the Raleigh area. Um, so I would speak specifically about the Raleigh community in Memphis. I would say that it boils down to me for, for two things uh, right now, currently, and that would be what I, re what I call uh, repairing the breach. Hmm. Um, and in repairing the breach, what I mean is um, Raleigh was once a place that was a very abundant place. Um, they called us Raleigh Springs because you could walk into your backyard and dig a shallow um, hole and hot springs would bubble up out of the ground. <laughs> Families would travel here to bring their kids, 
for the water. That would have been um, nice to see. Whatever. <laughs> it would have been a beautiful. The t- touristy spot, it was all of that. And so, but it was also a place where you had Christian schools and you had grocery stores. Methodist North Hospital was like the new beautiful place to go for your health care. And now Methodist North sits in the middle of, for lack of a better word, a jungle, hmm. you know, um, where everyone's kind of moving to the beat of their own drum, doing their own thing. And so when I say repair the breach, that's only coming after now three years of us, what I call plugging the dam. You know, when water begins to leak in your home, you're going to run a trash can underneath that leak until the next morning you can get someone out to fix it. I feel like we've spent the last three years plugging the dam, providing daily meals to quiet the stomach grumblings and community trash cleanups and uh, our ear to the ground at a number of different schools and listening and just trying to be there to display this love. Um, Right now, I feel like it's in repairing the breach in the sense of we've got to grow back our block. And in that, I see two things that have to occur. One, we have to connect both the institutions with community partners. That's, to me, the issues that are at stake right now that we must do that around is that we are a food desert. I don't want to talk about how poor we are or anything today, (laughs) but we are a food desert. There are large areas in our community of 45,000 plus people where there's no access to nutrient-dense food. Instead of us just shipping that food in and just having to cut the check for whatever that food vendor tells us the price is, we need to grow back our block. So mm. we've begun to allocate acres of land for the growing of agriculture here locally. Okay. Second to that, I would say, which really is there is no first and second like <laughs> order. Gotcha. But I've heard very clearly um, after, uh, you know, being a victim of gun violence, um, I heard very clearly, Tori, make me central. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a number of children, I would say probably in the thousands that don't even know and their parents that don't know that if we ask them, where did you come from? They don't know that God is their creator. Wow. And so I would say in repairing the breach, we must, we must, we must make biblical education a priority. Mm-hmm. There's no way to rebuild back naturally without there being the spiritual component for to wake up the soul of an individual to know that they're not a slave. That yes, um, you're broken, but I know who can fix that, right? And so those are the two things that I would say are most pressing. Making God the central focus of our community Mm -hmm. by educating, not telling, right? Right. Uh, But educating and equipping people with the truth and giving them access to the truth. And to grow back our block, creating agriculture and jobs and career pathways right here locally so that people don't grow up with this American dream fairy tale that if I can (laughs) change my geography. Right. Right. If I can move to California or then my dreams can become true and we make our present reality. Right one in which that is possible through the pathways created in our own blocks and our neighborhood. Well, um, I'm not going to lie. It it definitely hit home when you said um, the whole moving aspect, because yes, I, I too found myself in poverty. Um, Before I met my husband, I was a single mother of four and um, 
Yeah, money money was scarce. There was not never enough money to feed everybody or to clothe everybody or to keep roofs over our heads every month. So, um, and yeah, that was always my dream. You know what? If I move to this area of town, mm -hmm. then everything will be great. Everything will be perfect. My kids will eat every day and have whatever clothes they want and everything will be kumbaya. Um, and yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> Amazingly so, um, because it takes more than just moving from one place to another to get out of, as you called it earlier, the poverty mindset. Um, so I totally understand that. Um, question, though. So I hear your top two right now um, in no, in in no particular order. <laughs> um, but being that in the world that we live in, especially in the United States that we're in right now, um, that they have separated church and state. Um, you said that making God central, making him the central focus um, in the lives of these kids. How can we do that, being that we are not allowed to even speak his name inside a school building if they are present? So when I first moved to Raleigh, I had a map done of Raleigh that showed you everything that exists here. Okay. And one of the major things we have is that we have more churches in our community than gas stations. Wow. And that's just an assessment. Although when I got here, I was kind of critical of that. Mm -hmm. Now I've had a chance to meet a lot of those, those angels, those pastors okay. of those, those local places. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that um, in most cases, uh, black churches, especially that live in an impoverished area, we're kind of in, um, I don't know if you remember, Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox. Yes. I, like I said earlier, I'm 44 years old. I remember Back to the you Future. You look good, too. <laughs> um, you look good, too. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, a lot of our churches are are Back to the Future. Like things have changed, and yet we're carrying on the traditions of the 60s and 70s. Hmm. And so a part of what I see is that there was a law that was passed in 1942 called the release time, okay, uh, which allows for children to leave school during the school day um, for a privately funded opportunity to study the Bible. Wow. And so... Who knew? Right, who knew? Hmm. Um, the funding for that is essentially annually like $5,000, um, there's also another opportunity for high school students where the Bible in a public school, long as it is also privately funded, mm -hmm. can take place within that high school, um, long as the funding is private, mm -hmm. and bi biblical education can be offered as an elective within that school. Wow, I did not know that. And okay. so part of what I see and we've been working on is that we've been working on a petition that allows uh, for families, for our civic leaders, uh, for children, for parents, whoever, mm -hmm. to be able to sign this petition that would allow us to begin the conversation around biblical education. Mm -hmm. Now, it has to happen off-site, which is where all of those beautiful churches mm -hmm. that were abandoned okay. you know, in the late 90s uh, by white parishioners mm -hmm. and left here, right, um, can be utilized in every corner to mm -hmm. be able to bring those pastors together, 
bring those churches together and reopen those churches beyond Sundays or Wednesday mm. Bible study. Okay. But open them during the school day, provide transportation there and back and allow kids starting with elementary school students and a pilot to begin to learn the Bible. Wow. Right. For them to, to know who Jesus' parents were, Mary and mm. Joseph, for them to know who spoke everything we see into existence. Mm. And so that separation of church and state, um, again, leaves another opportunity for us not to complain about the difference, but to build a bridge, mm. right? And that bridge hits on both sides, right? It hits within the church and it hits within the state and within the school in this mm -hmm. case to allow us to rise above what's separating our children from the truth where families spend thousands of dollars a month for mm. private education. Right. Some of that, which some of that is because you want your children to have the biblical knowledge right. of, um, of history, you know? Wow. Didn't know that some of that even existed. That's, that's crazy to me. Um, but, very inspiring, too. very inspiring that to know that our children can actually learn the Bible outside of church on Sunday morning for the 45 minutes they're there um, in Sunday school or um, it's just if they can even make it to Sunday school. So that's that's awesome. I am. I'm definitely on board with that. Okay. Definitely on board with that. Um, but it brings me to my number. Your number two slash number one slash top two um, of the Grow the Block. Sure. Um, so how how does that look um, in real life, real time, not the overview of we're going to do this in 2035, but here today in 2023, what's that look like? Slow and steady. Okay. Um, starting with uh, we've got you know, more than 34 acres, some of which is connected throughout our community. Some of it's connected with a property that we purchased in 2021, uh, beginning slow and steady, beginning to uh, farm on a few of those acres this year, mm -hmm. understanding, you know, as the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? Right? One, <laughs> One bite, bite at, at a time. time. <laughs> um, and so starting slow and steady, doing more than what we were able to accomplish last year. So beginning to get our own food in the ground. So starting with the smallest soil samples and surveys of our land to now grow plans where we actually now have farmers as a part of our staff okay. that are pros at what it takes to grow food. Um, the other side of that, of growing the block, is creating that career pathway. The average age of a farmer right now is 65 Wow. With no secession plan. Oh, right? my goodness. So creating pathways for young people 16 and up to be able to experience, you know, agriculture, mm -hmm. uh, hands in the dirt, ag tech, how to connect coding in agriculture, uh, um, aquaponics, mm -hmm. which is how to grow food indoor, you know, but just giving them that that knowledge and that experience, but also creating more career pathways that grow our block beyond just, you know, uh, music and sports. So okay. creating, you know, uh, production opportunities for children to learn how uh, culinary for them to learn uh, production you know, engineering of music, the behind the scenes of things mm. uh, for them to get experience in social enterprises and entrepreneurship while they're still young right. um, and to get paid to learn. Mm. Um, and so we 
um, have been in partnership with the Department of Labor, which allows us to create these pathways and allows us to give children a stipend for learning. Wow. And so slow and steady. You know, we know that that's not going to be a thousand children this mm-hmm. year. Okay. But, you know, for the few hundred, we'll have a chance to, to connect with. Uh, it provides that incremental growth. You know, when we first started feeding our community, we started with 50 meals. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just out of trying to do what we could. And at the time, 50 meals, in order to make that $2,000 stretch for more than a week, right. that was all we could afford. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're feeding over 700 Wow. Right. 700 plus a day. Wow. Um, 700 plus a week. Wow. Right. And so um, in the same way, as we grow our block, it's slow and steady so that we don't run off too fast. And then we miss all of the lessons that have to be learned from that theory so that we can get it right. amazing all great things that are happening right now so tell me how can myself how can our community how can our listeners help you in the work that you are doing what is it that you see us coming together to help move your initiatives forward well as i've learned again um even this week i I say the first place folks can help is prayer Mm. Prayer is the work we're doing is work that Yahweh, the God of heaven, the one and only true God, already has a plan to do. Okay. And he plans to use our hands and our feet, but it's not by our might or by our powers, by his spirit that the work is done. And so to slow down enough to be praying vigorously and with courage for what's really needed not scary prayers, but praying mm. bold, courageous prayers um, collectively okay. would be where everyone can start with us praying for Raleigh to be a place of abundance and that that would affect our neighbors in Fraser and North Memphis and then down in, mm. into the downtown area of our city and on and on and on. And then I would say a time. You know, time and talent, uh, giving of your time and volunteer hours, coming to take a tour, coming before you come to do, come to learn, come and ride our blocks with us, come and see things, Mm. view them with open eyes, put your phone away, don't take any (laughs) pictures, but take the take the visual picture with your eyes Mm. and things you will see that you will never be able to forget. Um, And then I would say after that, I would say back to prayer to determine how do you use your your talent, your time and your your treasure um, in order to help us build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Um, So you keep saying us. So tell me who us is. Who are you representing right now? I represent believers. I represent those who... Um, whose lives have been changed because of the finished work of Jesus on on Calvary mm-hmm. 2,000 plus years ago when he gave his life as a substitute for ours. Um, I think all of us know that we are sinful, that we missed the mark. Um, so 
that no one has to be talked into. Hmm. But many of us, I say us because there are many of us who've recognized that, but we've surrendered to the fact that a self-help book won't do it. Hmm. Me pulling myself up by my own bootstraps isn't going to do it, Hmm. but it's going to be Jesus and my submission to the authority of, of Christ and accepting his life or a substitute for the whole world, not just forgives my sins and puts them as far as the East is from the West, which there is no, no, no end, no ending to East and West. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But also the offering of new life. So to all those who have, are, have, and are experiencing new life because of our brother, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I say us, I mean the universal church, not, not, Baptist or Catholic, Presbyterian, Muslim, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but everyone who believes that Jesus is our Savior and that the God of heaven loves us deeply and wants us in relationship with him, okay. that's my us. That's your us. That's my us. Uh, I Amen, completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, where can people go to find out more about what it is you're doing and um, maybe help? Um, begin the prayer of how they can help? Well, you can find me personally um, on social media at Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Walking Miracle. Um, You can find our group uh, for the kingdom at at FTK Memphis on any of your social media outlets, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, or www.ftkmemphis.org. That's where you can also find us and find more about what we've got going on. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Is there um, anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? I would say for each of you to ask yourself, what's your why? Hmm. To remember who you were as a child, to do but sometimes it's difficult work of remembering. Mm. And in remembering, you remember your why. If we can all remember who we were as children and what made us smile, what made us sad, in that I believe we find our calling. Mm. Okay. It was sitting on, you know, on a rooftop and <laughs> seeing the man in the trash can, digging in the trash can at McDonald's that it's the spark that lights a an engulfing fire on the inside of me now. And so I would just encourage each of you to ask yourself, what's your why? And travel back to your childhood and then speak up for the voiceless at that point. And that may start with yourself. I appreciate that plug. I appreciate that plug. <laughs> Um, Well, thank you. Thank you very much for sitting down with us. Thank you for talking um, and speaking up for the voiceless. I appreciate your time. I appreciate I appreciate your talent um, that you bring to the community of Raleigh Um, on a. Another side note, I know, I know I put a kicker in on the last podcast, but I'm going to do it here, too. Um, if you couldn't tell already, Tori Bates is my husband. Um, so all the little side um, comments to boost my boost my um, my own self-confidence. That would be coming from my husband. And I do appreciate that. And I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, you. 
And I thank all of y'all for listening today. Um, speak up for the voiceless. Do what you can in your community. Do um, what you can for your neighbors. If there is anything that is on your heart and you don't know how to get started, please reach out. Um, go to ftkmemphis.com and um, check out what FTK is doing and see where you fit in. Um, and if there isn't something that stands out immediately, then just contact us and something will pop up, something will come um, because the Lord definitely puts you in this place to listen to this podcast today for a reason. So we appreciate you listening. Um, for more information about myself and or 318, please go to www.31-8.com. That's 31 spelled out. Out, and then dash eight, just the number eight dot com. Um, and until next time, we will see you later. Have a great day and speak up for the voiceless whenever you can. <laughs>